It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon pondered the Harry Kane trophy curse as his Bayern side slipped up in their first leg tie against Lazio in the Champions League. Meantime, Manchester United have officially got the most expensive squad ever assembled. So what have Reds fans got for their money? And what is the task in hand for incoming Jim Ratcliffe? Plus... Thursday means boxing, and we were joined by boxer chief executive Ben Shalom, who updated us on Lawrence Acoli's next steps. Looking good this morning, I have to say, Mr. Jordan, looking smart. You must be off somewhere. My man from Del Monte outfit. It is? Yes, I'm going to go home to Spain for a little bit. You're going over to Spain for a yes. little bit. Okay, yes. and is everybody ready there? The troops mustered? Everyone prepared and ready? I, I, I hope so. Looking forward to seeing a few of my friends, absolutely. Good man, good man. Why not? It's uh, nice in this part of the world this morning. Hope it's good wherever you are listening all around uh, the UK. We've had a busy old week, Simon, have we not? Indeed. And it doesn't really stop today. We'll talk boxing. Just had a conversation with Callum Smith, yeah. one of the very popular good guys. Uh, Smith boxing family. Good guys, that family. Good, All of them, Paul. All of Stephen, them, aren't they Liam. just? And Callum, all of them. Yeah. And uh, after his fight with uh, Artur Betabiev, uh, he, he put up as good a show as he could. But he's had a lot to think about since then. Um, of course, culminating in, do I carry on? Yeah. Um, I won't give you an answer at the moment. I won't tell you what he said, but very good chat this morning with Callum Smith. A very reasoned chat as well. So you'll hear that later in the boxing hour with uh, Spencer Oliver. We're, we're going to talk about Roy Hodgson. Simon, the back of the mail this morning. Yeah. Roy Endgame, Palace set to sack Hodgson mm-hmm. with the Austrian boss in the frame. Yeah. Um, They've got a bit of a job in their hands at the moment, Crystal Palace, haven't they? We're just about to go into March. Uh, the managerial situation, not what they would want it to be. Yeah. And they are, and I know you don't think so, but they are fighting for their Premier League existence. Oh, yeah, they're in a scrap. I mean, they're not sucked right in there, but they're on the periphery of it and they're close to it. Um, and I've always said that, um, that, that Roy Hodgson will, will inevitably depart at the end of the season. If they've got somebody else in mind and they can deliver this person, yeah. then then why not get on with it? The challenge is is that he will encounter the same problems that Roy Hodgson is encountering, Mm. is that creatively, without Elise and without Eze, 
they lack the ability to be able to create opportunities to score goals. Now, the, t- the, the fans have had their say, and I don't think they're really going particularly after Roy Hodgson. They're going after the owners and yeah. suggesting that they haven't um, made the right decisions at the right times. And we can debate that in, in, if we want to. The point is is that they won't be sacking Parrish and his mob won't be sacking Roy Hodgson because they're bowing to, proud, to fan pressure. Yeah. They'll be sacking Roy Hodgson because they think they're, gonna, they're in jeopardy. Okay. They think they're in jeopardy. Mm, I think so. We had a, a whole bunch of Palace fans on earlier in the, the week and a lot of good comment came through there. We'll probably bring one or two of you to air today if you're up for it. 03717 Because next up, uh, another job in your hands. You're at Goodison uh, yeah. against Everton. That's a battle. And they're fighting for their lives as well for That's a whole a variety of reasons. Harry Kane is uh, fighting in all fronts in uh, Germany, Simon. I watched a bit of it last night. I dipped in and out of that and our friend uh, Nasser Al-Khalafi's PSG yep. up against Real Sociedad. But you look at it now, Bayern Munich, for the record, they lost last night in the first leg of their tie in the Champions League against Lazio, one goal to nil. They're out the German Cup, five points behind in the league. One yep. uh, nil down in the Champions League. Uh, we were talking behind the scenes, Simon, looking a bit at social media this morning. Many people hoping that Harry Kane fails. Um Many people, and I don't think they're Tottenham fans who were sore that uh, he he left them to head out to the Bundesliga. But there wasn't a lot of love around for Harry this morning. Um, do, do you think that Harry is going to... He's going to experience a season in his first season at Bayern Munich, the like of which he did not expect? Um, possibly, because he's going to a side that's won the Bundesliga 11 years in a row. And if he lands in the season that they don't win the Bundesliga, he's going to be, in certain people's minds, characterised as a pariah. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is we were reporting him three or four weeks ago as absolutely smashing it. And I know that his goal tallies have dropped off in recent weeks and recent games, but he's still getting one in two, which was the blueprint for suggesting a striker is an elite striker, and he's still got 22 goals this season. So he's still in a situation where his contribution is unarguable. Yeah. It's just the side is going through a transition. I mean, they had this slight blip with Pep Guardiola all those years ago. And quite frankly, if I'm a German fan, I'd be quite happy to see someone else win the Bundesliga rather of course. than Bayern Munich yeah, every yeah. single season. But for Harry Kane, it's disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's he is achieving what he would have um, wanted to achieve, which is playing in the Champions League. They Okay, they've lost 1-0 away to Lazio. Big deal. The second leg uh, is back at the Allianz. Yeah. I suspect they'll take care of business, irrespective of whether they've been outplayed by the best side in the German Bundesliga at this moment in time, Leverkusen, that are playing with a great deal of pomp. Yeah. They're still there and thereabouts. So, Having said that, it's the first time Bayern have lost the first leg of a, a, a round of 16 fixture in 11 seasons. Yeah, OK. Well, that You're is right, though. It's still open. That, that is what it is. I mean, yeah. it would be meaning, more meaningful if they were getting beaten 3 or 4-0. It's 1-0, so they're 1-0 down at half-time. Uh, sure. And so with that in mind, I would imagine that Bayern Munich will overcome Lazio um, and then the conversation will move on to who's going to knock them out of the Champions League because they don't look like a Champions League winning side. The only side that looks like is going to win the Champions League to me is either Real Madrid continues to get the rub of the green they've gotten for the last couple of years yeah. or Man City do what I expect them to do, which is dominate Europe as they've dominated the Premier League. The thing about Harry, though, Simon, is, and this won't be lost on Gareth Southgate watching from distance at the moment, yeah. um, he had so many shots last night but couldn't even put them on target. And his form, sure, Harry will always get goals, but at the moment, the goal touch has deserted him. He, he spoke post-match. The main thing for me and, and the team is that we have to, you know, focus on the next, the next challenge. We're in a difficult spell. There's no hiding that, but uh, we have to fight and we have to turn it around. 
Yeah, and confidence is a difficult thing, isn't it? Easily lost, not so easily got back. No, for sure, but uh, like I touched on there, the good thing is that we have big games, we have big things to fight for still, so we're not out of it, we'll never give up, and um, yeah, we just need to turn it around, you know, one game or one spark can, can change a lot in football, and, and we need to try and find that, so we'll push together, you know, we'll uh, push each other in training and in the game on the weekend and, and try and find it. So he's none the worse. Yeah. Was that a question or a statement from, no. from the, from the, from the, from the uh, interviewer? Confidence <laughs> is easily lost. I mean, these players have got lots of save for themselves. Yeah. And they're all big men. The confidence shouldn't be easily lost. They're big players. They should get themselves back on the horse. Yeah, of course. They had 17 shots mm. against Lazio and none on target. Well, that's just poor, isn't it? I mean, we, but we've seen that from other sides in the Premier League this season. We've seen some sides that have been prolific in creating chances yeah. and not scoring goals. Chelsea have been the case in point. Harry Kane will score goals. Harry Kane will probably finish the Bundesliga top scorer. Um, it'll be interesting to see because the noise being made a couple of weeks ago is he was going to eclipse Lewandowski. That's subsided a little bit. But the side is not clicking. And and, and, and and Harry Kane is very much dependent upon how many chances are created around him. Yes, he's had a lot of chances yesterday and he didn't hit one of them on target. I guarantee you Harry Kane will score goals wherever he plays. You would like to think so. There's a bit of pressure on him. Is there more pressure on Thomas Tuchel, Tuchel. Uh, our one-time friend at Tuchel. Chelsea? Tuchel. I mean, when you look at it, Tuchel's lost 10 of his 43 games in charge there. Almost as many defeats as Nagelsmann suffered in 84 games in charge. Sure. Sure, I understand that. And uh, ultimately, the expectations of Thomas Tuchel are far greater yeah. because of his track record and the perception of him being an elite manager. And in fact, he is. He's one of the top managers around. Um, whether some of his antics in other spaces are to be admired, that's a different discussion. But it cannot be debated that he will be the person. If Harry Kane scores 30-odd goals this season, they finish second in the Bundesliga and win nothing, he won't be considered a failure. He'll be considered part of a team that failed, whereas the manager will take the responsibility for a failing team. So I think the, the characterisation of the conversation who's under greater pressure, well, Harry Kane will be under his own pressure because he's made a move to Bayern Munich. The real reason behind that move was Tottenham had one season to go. He wasn't going to sign a new contract and they got offered silly money. Yeah. And so Daniel took it. Mm. And Bayern Munich were the only people prepared to pay that silly money in terms of uh, £90 million pounds or whatever it was for a player that's got one year left on his contract that's coming to a stage in his career when one might consider big transfer fees and not available for clubs. So the move was really engineered by economics. Harry would have expected, I anticipate, to have gone over there and uh, and won something. And he may yet do, but the point is is that I, I, I alluded to last year when I was thinking about him going to Germany, I didn't see why he'd want to go to Germany. I didn't see why why Germany would be a place for him to go to and people were talking about winning things and fine, if an Englishman thinks winning the Bundesliga is meaningful, then okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, there's an irony of that comment because he's gone over to Germany and I didn't think he would and there's a distinct possibility he'll come away from his first season with nothing. And the irony will be there for all to see. It sure will. It sure will. They can turn it around against Lazio. Of course they can. Simon, at last though, we've got a, a, a bit of a league title chase on involving the two big ones in Glasgow, yeah. Rangers and Celtic. Yeah. Rangers, 3-1 winners over Ross County last night. Celtic stay top uh, on goal difference, 61 points. Rangers on 61 points. Um, uh, if they'd uh, converted more of their 23 efforts on target, the goal difference, uh, yeah. they would have gone top yeah. of the table, Rangers. But at last, at last, a bit of a nip-and-tuck title race. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we've had Rangers back in the fold and Stephen Gerrard delivered them a, a Scottish Premier League uh, two or three seasons ago. But in recent times, it's not been great fair. Obviously, they've done well in Europe. Yeah. They still got to answer the conundrum of being able to overcome Celtic. Um, and in the last game, they didn't. They've got... When they're playing Celtic, they're playing Celtic at, um, at uh, Ibrox on the 6th of April. Right. This will be, this will, this will be the acid test. If they go 
pound for pound and both both win their games the game on the 6th of April will be a fascinating one because that will take Rangers if they match what Celtic do above them and, and above them on three points yeah 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 and okay. that's the one and, and, that, and it's at Rangers and I like this Philippe Clement I liked him the moment he walked through the door mm. irrespective of Sunes now trying to alight upon him like some demented cuckoo he wanted Frank Lampard <laughs> now he's got Philippe Clement and now he's taking some credit for it the point is is that I liked him the moment the moment you you can see it with people. The moment he sat in that press conference, I thought, oh, there's a distinct possibility they've got a live one here. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Simon's alongside me. Simon, yet again, we're talking about your beloved Crystal Palace, but now problems regards the manager. In the back of the mail this morning, Roy Endgame. Palace set to sack Hodgson with Austrian boss uh, in the frame. Very shortly, we're going to hear more about the man who reportedly is in the frame. Um, uh, the fellow that used to uh, work at Eintracht Frankfurt. We'll get to that very shortly. Oliver Glasner and get some kind of an impression of what he's like from Konstantin Eckner, German broadcaster. But the mail tells this morning Palace set to call time and Roy's second reign in charge it remains to be seen uh, Sammy Mockbill tells us uh, if he's sacked before Monday's clash at Everton but a decision has been taken to make a change before the end of the season amid major discontent from supporters. Simon's take on that in a second. I caught up a short time ago with uh, the versatile Palace player Jeffrey Schlup and the topic of Roy came up. I've been involved in, in similar situations and I think everyone knows Roy has obviously been in probably these situations more than I have. Um, he knows what's needed. Um, everyone's obviously, we're still together. You can see that with our performance against Chelsea, you know, up until the last couple of minutes of the game. Everyone's fighting for each other and pulling for each other. And I'm sure we'll be fine, you know, but it's obviously, it's, it's always a dangerous thing to to say, you know, um, in previous years, teams have gone down that have had better teams, better players than than they've shown in the season. But... Again, you know, we've got the quality, but I think it's time to sort of get a bit dirty and, and grind some results out before the, the quality then shows. Simon, he says we've got to get down and dirty if we're going to do anything. Um, yeah. Let's hear about the man they're talking about. If indeed Roy is moving and this fella is coming in, the man uh, who's being spoken about now as Roy's successor, I, uh, former Eintracht Frankfurt manager Oliver Glasner. As I said, Konstantin Eckner, German broadcaster, joins us live. Konstantin, good morning to you. Tell us about Glasner. What do you know? I mean, he was quite successful, at least, at Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, winning the Europa League in 2022. Uh, he comes from the kind of the Red Bull uh, school of football. Uh, I mean, he was born in Salzburg and he also played there and uh, coached there. So you, you can see some of these these RB Leipzig Red Bull uh, traits in, in his game, high press, intensity, um, counter-attacking style. Usually that's why Frankfurt was so successful in the Europa League because they were usually the underdogs against Barcelona and West Ham United. Um, and they were not so, so successful in the Bundesliga because they're against the weaker sides. You, you need to have the ball at times, which uh, didn't really suit um, Oliver Klaasner's game. I mean, you guys might uh, then can assess if uh, his, his style suits Crystal Palace. I, I guess so, yes. Um, I think the biggest concern right now is um, that in his final year at Frankfurt, um, before that he was kind of known as level-headed, as someone who can get along with the players, but he became quite erratic when things didn't go his way and, and things uh, got a little bit um, dicey at times and, and he lashed out at the media and at just at everyone, basically. So there might be some concern um, how he deals with pressure. 
Ah, I see. And and just in the passing, is what is being reported here in some quarters the same as uh, is being reported over where you are, Constantine? That he is the front runner and is set to take over if indeed Hodgson goes in the coming hours. Yeah, uh, he has become the front runner. That's also been reported because he there was uh, three man lists, uh, three names: Lopetegui, McKenna, and Glasner. And Glasner was not at the very top of that list. Um, that's also be, uh, been reported, and I know that that's actually for a fact. So um, what I also know is that Glasner and his agent in particular, ever since he left Frankfurt and he wanted to get another um, job, his, his his agent has tried to get. Um, Glasner a landing spot in the Premier League because uh, Glasner believes that he uh, could do quite well in England and he's kind of fascinated by the Premier League. I mean, why not? Uh, you, you, understandably so. Um, so yeah, that's it, it. It might make sense in a in a way. Of course, there are times when Glasner won the Europa League. He was linked with Chelsea and and these kind of clubs and it's, I mean Crystal Palace and not the same tier. Um, but of course, this is also his reputation has uh, faded. Okay. Why did he um did he get fired, Constantine? Essentially, yes. I mean, they they just agreed that he he has to leave at the end of the season. So, um, but that was agreed upon before the end of the season. Um, there was at a time when when they didn't win a lot of matches, and we when people at Frankfurt just became irritated by his behavior. I see. I mean, Simon, it's it's been reported the co-owner at Palace, uh, John Texter, understood to be pushing the merits of Glasner. I mean, Glasner had talks with Palace yeah. last time around when it, um, it was considered the best way forward is to carry on with Roy. Mm. And they did. So he's known to them. He, he's, yeah. he's familiar to them in more ways than one. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and most of the Premier League sides, when they're looking around Europe and looking at other managers, most managers aren't a secret. And this is a guy that's won the European Conference League. So they'll be visible to uh, to clubs in England. It's an interesting time for the manager because a lot of these guys, and I want to see Constantine's view on this, um, don't want to come in and pick up the problems from someone else at a time in the season when they don't have any ability to change it because the transfer windows have come and gone and they don't really want to be attached to something that ultimately may be a problem for them. Do you think this guy, do you think this guy will take a job now if this job is there to be offered, Constantine? I think there was a time when he wouldn't have taken that job um, just because his position was much, much better. Um, coming, you know, for, uh, after that Europa League win with a lot of steam into the next season, there were rumors that he was linked to uh, several clubs, basically. And it, it, that's when Chelsea and West Ham uh, have been, were linked with him and linked to him. Uh, but right now, what I know is that he increasingly, not getting desperate, but wanting to get a next job uh, because he has been out of a job uh, for a while now and, and he's so, uh, he's he's not a workaholic but he's someone who, who wants to work and, and is, is happy to work and, and is on the training page every day and, and wants to put in the work so uh, being out of a job he does like it uh, he's not he's also not at an age where he wants to take long breaks uh, he's in his 40s so he he wants to uh, be a coach and, and that's why that, that job might be much much more intriguing than it would have been a while ago. Sure thing. Constantine, thank you very much indeed. Uh, not for the first time, Constantine Etner bringing us up to date with what's going on out in uh, Germany and his part of the world. Simon, it would seem it would seem to me that uh, the sensible money is that he's going to come in. He's going to come in before the end of the season, certainly in the coming days. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the question was, do I think Paz will get relegated if Roy Hodgson stays? Probably not. Do I Probably think, not. Um, yeah, I, this you is, softened I think, a bit on that. No, I don't think they'll get relegated. 
I think on the balance of probability, I think they've just got about enough to get past it. I know that they're struggling, but I also look back on the recent weeks and some of the games they've played in, with the exception of the Brighton game. I know the Palace fans are saying you're not watching enough of it, Simon, and that team is poor to watch. Yeah. But they have gotten a lot of draws and games where you would not potentially expect them to have got a draw. Look, Palace, if they've decided to make a change and they've got a candidate, I'm always in the camp. It's really easy to fire somebody. It's much more difficult to hire. If you believe... I mean, the situation with Roy Hodgson is, is, a, is, a, is a different one than a traditional manager because you know he's going at the end of the season. So what are you trading water for? You might as well make a decision. And if you've got the manager in place that you believe is going to fix the problems both now and in the future, yeah. make the decision. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. We're looking at the latest UEFA figures, uh, Simon. In terms of what clubs spend, yeah. Manchester United, seldom out of the news. We'll get to the Dan Ashworth aspect of that in just a second. But have the latest UEFA figures, Simon, laid bare the task that lies before Sir Jim Ratcliffe. You often go to a football match... And the crowd breaks into what a waste of money. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to name names as what a waste of money he was or he was. I'm just going to bring a few names into the equation here and you can make your own minds up. Manchester United squad last year, it turns out, in terms of spending, was the most expensive ever assembled in football. Previous to it, Real Madrid held that title uh, in one season they spent £1.13 billion pounds. Manchester United for season 22-23 the squad that was assembled and the players that were brought in Simon £1.2 billion pounds, mm-hmm. 1.42 billion euros yeah. and then you begin to break it down United's squad included Anthony £82 million. Harry Maguire, 80 million. Jaden Sancho, 73. Casemiro, 70. And on and on it goes. I mean, does this, does this lay bare the task that lies ahead for Sir Jim Ratcliffe off the back of spending like that? Is there going to have to be a total rethink? 
No, not really. I think it's. A, I think it gives you the scale of the opportunity as well, because clearly Manchester United have had the capability to be able to spend that level of money without actually having any owner support to do it. So that's one thing. The fact that they've not spent it well. And I do think there's an element of recruitment for Man United takes a unique perspective on it. Uh, one is that you're, you're, everybody knows that Man United are in desperate need of rebuilding a team and a club, and so they get a premium tax on whatever they buy. Albeit the Jadon Sancho transfer was, was mooted at £115 million the previous season, and when Dortmund... Uh, sold him to Man United, it was 73 million. Yeah. And the other side of it is is that there is something very different about playing for some of these other football clubs. Uh, you know, I spoke to uh, in, a, in a conversation with Paul Ince the other day about Liverpool and Man United and which club has the more expectations given he's played for both. And he said Man United. Man United has more expectations than any club he's ever known. And so that means you have to have a unique brand of footballer to go in to play for that football club. Not just a good footballer, someone that has a psychological profile of understanding what it's like to play in an environment where we spend all our time focused on Man United dawn till dusk. Yeah. And the media do that, and the fans do that, and the interest in Man United globally is as big as any football club in the world, if not bigger. And then you look at the players that they've bought. Well, centre-backs cost 80 million quid. That's what they cost. Harry Maguire, at the time, was being sought after by various football clubs. I believe he turned down Manchester City to go to Manchester United. And so with that in mind, that was the price on the ticket. He's been there for five or six years. Whether we like his current vein of form or not is irrelevant. I'm assuming that Chelsea paid 70-odd million quid to Leicester for Fafana because they thought he was a centre-back. And Chelsea and Liverpool bought Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk's a better player than Harry Maguire, but that was the price on the ticket. You look at some of the other players, yeah. Anthony, play 82 mil. Well, these are... Again... The recruitment process and the reasons behind it and the intelligence and the due diligence will become more sophisticated because... It's whilst, got to, hasn't it? Yes. I mean, but, it doesn't even include Mason Mount, but, 55 million. But, but, Onana, 47. But this is... But, yeah, but when you think about it, Onana, at the, on the back of last year, was rated one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Right? Whether he's hit the ground running at Manchester United any more than David De Gea did in his first season when everybody said he can't catch crosses and he then went on for a period of time to become a Man United stalwart. The bottom line is is that goalkeepers cost 50 million quid now. Chelsea pays 70 million quid for Kepa. People pay 70 million pound for goalkeepers left, right and centre, seemingly now more regularly than they did before. So 47 million pound for a goalkeeper isn't a bad amount of money. Mason Mount, an international footballer, what do you buy a midfield player for? You, know, you pay £50 million for midfield players. That's what you do. You know, Everton paid £50 million for um, Sigerson, didn't they? Five, six years ago. That's right. So you, these are the prices. Million. Yeah. You look at Rasmus Hoyland, £72 million for centre forward. The boy's scoring goals now. The boy is beginning to look like a player that will score goals for United and is now beginning to find his feet. There's, there's no argument about the badly spent money currently on £82 million on Anthony, currently on Jaden Sancho, and currently on Casemiro. Those are bad buys, and and one of the bad buys, Casemiro at 70 million quid, Graham described him as a steady Eddie, and over the course of time, if you say things long enough, eventually you might get proved right, because there was a period of time when Casemiro was not a steady Eddie, he looked like a well-beater for United, or certainly yeah, a good yeah. value for money. But there's been bad buys, and what this creates is an opportunity, because you can look at all of the failings, all of the shortcomings of a previous set of decision-making processes and use them as currency to suggest what you'll do differently. And how you'll buy differently. If and you then, were Sir Jim coming in, would you do differently? If you've got Ashworth working for you, will you team up and do it differently? Well, if you've got Ashworth working for you, you would ask Ashworth to tell you how you're going to do it differently, because you know you don't have a you know you don't have a 
a cook and make the broth yourself. You give him the directions, you tell him what you're expecting from him and you give him the tools to go and deliver. And I would be looking at that squad of players and saying, right, OK, where, where, what needs to be changed? Who needs to be sold? What needs to be broken up? I'll have to take some medicine for some of the players that we've bought that aren't clearly working for us and maybe we have to get out of some of these deals that we've done. I mean, Harry Maguire, we're talking about transfer spend. We're not talking about financial fair play or right, losses right. as a result of it. We're yeah. talking about a squad that's been assembled. Yeah. And in the currency of that football club, it is a squad of players that were bought, I'm assuming, for reasons. The fact that managers haven't been able to exact outcomes from these players and the team hasn't been able to be built is as much a failing of the managers and the group of players as it is of the owners and the people that they made the decision to so buy these your players. your eyebrow isn't particularly raised at some of the amounts. No, the amount... We, we, this is where it, we're at in football. But it's well established. I mean, Man United have been proven to be the biggest spenders. The argument about Manchester City and what they do and don't spend and what they are and what they aren't is a kind of moot argument because Manchester City are a club that now trades, tends to spend a lot less than other football clubs in a similar position, although there's very few clubs in a similar position to Manchester City because they trade players in the way in and way out. Uh, and, and they don't spend the kind of money that Manchester United have spent. It's a fact. Man United have spent over the last decade more than anybody else. And the problem is, is they have spent it on players that have underperformed. And then you have to ask yourself... What are the lessons that you take from that? Why have these players underperformed? Mm. Because clearly you saw something. What was the th thinking and what was the process that you followed to buy these players? Put aside the money. If these, if these it's players, hard to put aside the money. No, it's not. The only reason this conversation is, is relevant is because the team aren't performing. <laughs> the only time you ever, you ever start talking about what someone costs or what someone's paid is when they're not performing. The, right. the question should be not what you've paid for them, why aren't they performing? That's the question, not how much you pay for them. <clears throat> then you look at the list with Newcastle, and is it any surprise that they're talking about Dan Ashworth? Because at Newcastle United, in came Alexander Isak, 63 million, albeit it's a sizable amount of money. Yeah. Anthony Gordon, 45. Yeah. yeah, a fair chunk of money. Harvey Barnes, 39. Tino Livramento, 36. Fen Botman, yeah. 35. So is it any wonder, and Nicky, the Newcastle fan, is saying, Jim, ask Simon... Is it the fact that if Ashworth leaves Newcastle, he is the man that everybody wants in football because he knows what it's worth to get a club into a top four position? Yes, because, the, well, he does and he doesn't. He does because, he surely does, Sam. Well, he does and he doesn't because Newcastle uh, tripped the light fantastic last season. They're not having it quite their own way this season. Not true. And we'll see how that looks. I mean, and, 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 manage, and being a director of football... Albeit you have the Saudi field background, which give people the perspective that ultimately they've got as much money as they want to spend. right? But that's been laid to rest by the financial fair play marketplace, and they've played that card relatively well. It is uh, We are going to find out unequivocally whether Dan Ashworth is all that he's cracked up to be at Manchester United. Because it is one thing recruiting for Newcastle and, and one thing recruiting for Brighton. It is an entirely different mentality, an entirely different set of requirements and expectations and scrutiny recruiting for Manchester United. Do you honestly still think that? Massively. Why? Any, because everybody knows it is. Everybody knows that there's a certain type of Newcastle's player... Newcastle's under the microscope constantly. Not to the level of Manchester United. Newcastle, first so of all, Brighton, the, individual, so the, the scrutiny of the fans, let's start with the fans. Newcastle fans <laughs> spent the first 18 months being grateful for anybody but Mike Ashley. And they got this wonderful feel-good factor because they got this bump if you actually look behind it and look at who owns them, then perhaps you would question the validity of that thinking, but notwithstanding it, they've got an ownership which is not Mike Ashley. Eddie Howe came in, they got themselves out of the problems that they were in, and they bought some sensible players. You know, whether these players are going to catapult them to the next level and sustain them there, in the meantime, they've won nothing. 
Manchester United have won the League Cup, beating the aforementioned Newcastle to achieve that. <laughs> yeah, having um, spent a fortune. But that's what Manchester United do. But Manchester United spent a fortune that they can afford to spend. It doesn't put them in any jeopardy. Their, well, wage, bill, their wage bill is huge. Are they going to end up spending money like they spent yes. last time around? Yes. £1.21 billion pounds to assemble a squad. With Ashworth in alongside Ratcliffe. Yeah. That I mean, kind of money. Yeah. Um, listen, I would think that they would want, not want to. That's not a burning ambition of theirs. But there is a tax that gets applied to Manchester United. There is also a feeling that the intellectual capital that has bought these players has not joined up the dots properly and not made their decisions considering the aspects. Because clearly these players can play. Anthony can play. You don't pay £82 million for a player. People were raving about Jadon Sancho a couple of years ago. They haven't done it under the focus of Manchester United for a variety of and reasons. And the clock's ticking. For a variety of reasons. Yeah. Right? Because A, they're not... They're not, they're not Good enough, and B, they're not good enough in the environment that Man United, in, in, you know, engenders. Okay. Ashworth will prove the point that he's a top quality operator if he fixes the problem at Man United. Your 100% essential download, outspoken with White and Jordan. Many of you asking us what's next for Lawrence O'Coley, the same Lawrence O'Coley who lost to Chris Billum Smith last May down in Bournemouth. We're glad that you're asking us that because Lawrence O'Coley's promoter. Uh, ben Shalom joins us live this lunchtime. Ben, good afternoon to you. Lawrence O'Coley, what's next? Good afternoon. Um, look, big news coming soon. It's been a difficult period. I think Lawrence knows that. He lost his world title, had performances that he wasn't happy with for a long time. A lot of that, for me, might have been down to his weight. He's a big lad. He's a he's six foot six guy with a huge frame, and it was he was he was struggling with it. And I, I, we could see it in the final fights and. We had the opportunity at the start of this year to think, you know, do we go back for that cruiserweight world title? And 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 he and his team made the decision that now was the right time. Now mm. was the time to to fight at the weight he felt most comfortable at, to fight at weight he's natural at. So he'll be moving up in weight. I've seen talks around bridge weight and heavyweight, but we'll have announcements soon. But yeah, he uh, he's he's definitely moving up from from cruiserweight now. Yeah, it's interesting that, Ben, isn't it? Because there was talk of that for quite some time now with Lawrence O'Coley. He has that frame. He's very tall. He's got wide shoulders. So it was it was evident that he was going to move up at some point. And you saw the, you saw the fight against Chris Billum Smith last May and you just saw the fragility around him. Like, you know, he didn't look the same fighter. I don't know if he was struggling to make the weight, but it was a, it was a bad performance from Lawrence Coley and a bad night. And it was probably the best time is now to move up. And the interesting thing is, does he go up and look to fight WBC champ in uh, Lucas Rosansky? Or do you go straight up to heavyweight? I think that's, that, that's the interesting bit. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking through at the moment. And uh, I don't think it was just the performance of Ben's Chris Bill and Smith, Spencer. I think, two or three fights, two or three performances he wasn't entirely happy with. He's an extremely talented guy and you have to step back and say, well, what more is there to achieve at Cruiserweight? You know, when you're struggling that much and when it's when it's such an ordeal and you can see that it's affecting your performances and you're getting older, you're getting closer to 30 and the, to the peak of your career. Look, we know a lot needs to, to change for Lawrence and he'll want to change a lot of things but we also know that that weight was 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 getting to the point where it was hurting him and as I say we made a decision and he made a decision rather than fight for the cruiserweight world title again and, and, and continue his career at that weight it's definitely time to move up and as you say the decision between bridgeweight and heavyweight and which comes first for me is undeniable he'll end up as a heavyweight that's that's where he wants to fight and it's just about what what step is next. 
Where is he now in credibility terms? I'm surprised that you're talking about his weight because I don't see him being particularly much bigger than Richard Riakpour, and yet Richard Riakpour is still active at cruiserweights. Yeah, but he's got big shoulders. Big... He is very tall. Like he, he will fill into a big heavyweight, to be fair. Think... I mean, a Coley, definitely. Also, he's got that frame. Also, I have to be honest, Richard won't be there long. You know, Richard is an absolute monster as well. And I yeah, don't no, know I how... understand that. But he might step yeah. up with winning a World Cruiserweight title rather than step up having lost one. Where, where is Lawrence? I mean, there's always been this thing about Lawrence where the entertainment value that he brings and and some of the quality that he brings to the ring isn't always the most engaging. It's been going back over his career. And obviously he's had a period out of the ring, Ben, where he was in Saudi contractually in d- dispute with various people. Comes back, has two fights, both of them quite poor. Um, where is he now and how do you rebuild him? Because obviously you've got an investment in him, you want him to be successful. How do you rebuild Lawrence Coley to being a an appealing boxer that people want to see? I think Lawrence knows it. I think for a long time, as when you're a world champion, you'll do anything. I think he got to the point where he'd do anything to win and he stopped developing as a boxer and he stopped thinking about how entertaining was and it was almost win at all costs. I do think there's a relief off his shoulders a little bit now that he doesn't have that world title, now that he hasn't isn't just going in there. He's had time to look at his style, look at his training team, look at what to work on. Look, it's undeniable, and I felt for him. He's had a, a huge amount of criticism around his performances, especially the last two or three fights. He he knows he needs to change, and that's upon him. Mm. We know he mm. can beat, we know he can win fights, but this game is about entertainment, and uh, he knows that, and he feels that... He's got a, his best chance of entertaining at heavyweight. Well, Ben, um, Fabio Wardley against Fraser Clark should be pretty entertaining. You've got that in the pipeline for us. Is there news or am I jumping the gun that Ben Whitaker might feature that night as well? Yeah, we've just announced Ben Whitaker. It's a it's a huge card, that one now. We've got Congo Marku on there. Babich has just been announced as his return in a, in a chaotic fight against Steve Robinson as well. Uh, and then to add Ben Whitaker and Callum Simpson, another potential star. It's a huge night of the O2. One more announcement to come tomorrow as well. But Ben's flying at the moment. I spoke to him. I spoke to him yesterday and he, Look, we all knew it was coming for him. We yeah. all knew the superstardom was coming, but it's a lot to get used to. It's happened so quickly for him. He's gone from almost a prospect to one of the most talked about fighters in the country, if not in boxing. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, he's, he's he's still a kid. And so he was laughing yesterday at how much his life was suddenly changing. The interest is crazy. And and to get him back out and keep him active now is, is, is the I can, key. I can imagine. Who's he going to fight? We'll announce that in the next week or so. Um He's obviously just come out of his last fight. I know people are very keen on him to step up, um, but we'll see and we'll announce that next week. Louis, Louis Edmondson comes to mind. I mean, there's been a bit of back and forth between them two. I know that Edmondson wants that fight. That's a great fight to make, Ben. It's a, it's a big fight. It's a big fight and it's something that we'll be talking to Ben about. And But there's a lot of big fights for him there in that division. And for yeah. us, it's about developing properly. It's about having the right steps up. It's about building his brand, building his profile as well and his experience. He's still a he's still a prospect. He's had five or six fights. He's moving very, very, you know, quickly in terms of his profile outside the ring. And we we have to make sure he gets that experience and, and, and he boxes regularly. Last year was extremely frustrating for him. He, he had a huge amount of injuries. He should have boxed a lot more. Now he's boxed December the 10th, February the 3rd, March the 31st. That's how you build a star. That's how he gains confidence and that's how he gets to where he's going to be but talent wise you've got another announcement to make tomorrow you were saying Ben yes um, another big fight on that card wow good man why not make it now 
know, I knew this was going to happen. I can't because, uh, <laughs> as I say, I with understood. Uh, understood. Listen, what about Suleiman's comments in thirty seconds about uh, like VAR in boxing? We, uh, you you've pushed for this technology, haven't you? Spencer's been talking about it this morning. Yeah, I think for the big fights, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you have so many, you know, so many decisions at the moment yeah. that are being all the time. It's frustrating as a promoter as well because you're the usually the one that gets blamed. And so, I welcome anything. It takes investment. It takes uh, it takes everyone getting on board with it. But when there's such high stakes, and when you've got fighters' careers going one way or the other based on a decision at the end of at the end of the um, at the end of the fight, and you look at the other sports, whether it's tennis, whether it's football, boxing is a huge sport now. It's one of the be- one of the biggest sports in the world, definitely in this country. And uh, the investment now needs to go in so that the fans can trust what's going on, see what's going on, and we get to the decision. And I think it will add add some more excitement as well. You're 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review on the TalkSport app or whatever you get your podcasts from. Sam Matterface is back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.